RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I'm your host, Vincent Hill, and today is Tuesday, July 3rd, 2018, and we are brushing through this year. This year is going by so fast. Tomorrow is Independence Day, the 4th of July. I want everyone to have a very safe, a very fun 4th of July, but remember, do not drink and drive. Believe me, as a former police officer, I assure you, police will be out everywhere, Even if you think you're not impaired, if you've been drinking, do not get behind the wheel. And there's really no excuse for it. In any major city and even out in the sticks, there's this thing called Uber. There's this thing called Lyft. Get a ride. Have a designated driver. But please do not get behind the wheel if you've been drinking. Because the legal limit in many states is .08. And you'll be surprised how quickly you reach 0.08 on your blood alcohol, even if you don't feel intoxicated. The law says if you blow a 0.08, you are. And the law also says if you refuse a breathalyzer test and f- refuse field sobriety tests, you can still be charged with DUI and implied consent, which means you can lose your license. So if you've been drinking, get an Uber, get a Lyft, have a designated driver. But most of all, have fun and don't do anything stupid with those fireworks. If you're not trained in it, have someone that is trained in it. Don't go out and have firecracker wars and all that stuff that I did as a kid because I saw someone almost lose their eye for that exact reason. Be safe, have fun, enjoy your holiday. All right, I'm just back from New York. I got back uh, from New York Late Saturday night, I was up there Thursday and Friday with the Law and Crime Network. On Thursday, Dan Abrams, who is the owner of the network, many of you know him from Live PD and being the legal chief legal analyst for ABC News. Uh, Thursday, he had a meeting with all the hosts. Of course, I host Law and Crime Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, afterwards, we went out for dinner and drinks. Got a chance to sit down with Dan. He's a very interesting guy and a very successful guy so you always want to surround yourself with successful people so you can get to the next level and it was uh an opportunity of a lifetime dan actually invited myself and one of the producers with the law and crime network to come down to a and e on friday to get a behind the scenes look of law uh sorry of live pd so it was pretty cool we were on set of Live PD. We were actually at the A&E Network. We actually got to see the control room that many people see when they're watching Live PD Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, but Friday, before all the fun began, I was hosting Law and Crime from 12 to 3. And we were covering the Aiden McClendon case. Now, here's a name nobody's heard. Aiden McClendon, black male who was shot and killed. No one's really heard of him because it doesn't fit the mainstream media narrative of a black male being killed by police. But let me tell you a little bit about Aiden McClendon. He was actually a 22-month-old little baby who was shot and killed during a drive-by shooting in Jacksonville, Florida. The intended target 
was his cousin, who is a rival gang member, part of the PCE, Problem Child Entertainment. They, of course, fronted as being rappers. Uh, he was a rival member to this gang called the 187, and we all know that means on the street, murder. So last, not last Super Bowl, Super Bowl before last, Super Bowl 2016, Aiden McClendon was in his car seat at his grandmother's house. They had just pulled into the driveway, and shots rang out. Little Aiden was shot three times. Uh, right now, the closing arguments in that case were going on in Jacksonville. They ended today. There were two defendants on trial for that, Henry Hayes and Kwame Richardson. Of course, they're being charged with first-degree murder in the death of little Aiden McClendon. And again, that's probably a name many people haven't heard outside of Jacksonville, more importantly, outside of Aiden McClendon's family, because it doesn't fit the narrative. There's no hashtag. There's no protest. But I want a hashtag right now. Hashtag little Aiden. I hope his family gets justice for what happened. His death was very senseless as a parent. I can't imagine losing a child, but to lose a child, a 22-month-old who hasn't even had his second birthday yet, not because he was sick, not because of a car accident, not because of some freak accident, but because some gangbangers had a beef with another gangbanger and they started shooting at this vehicle and at this house, little Aiden McClendon lost his life. So hashtag little Aiden and I hope his family gets justice. Now, speaking of the Law and Crime Network, I got two good buddies over there. One of the hosts, Jesse, and one of the people in the office, Andrew. They're both attorneys. Most people at the Law and Crime Network are attorneys. Jesse, again, is a host Monday through Friday from 9 to 12. You can check him out there at lawandcrime.com. Uh, and Andrew, again, he's an attorney. He's in the office. He does all the behind-the-scenes stuff. He gets the big deals that we're trying to bring to the network. But they have a podcast called Guys Who Law, and it airs on Wednesdays. They uh, discuss everything law, but from kind of like I do here on Beyond the Batch, from a lawyer point of view. And they give it a current swing to break down these legal cases that are involved in everything we see today, not just Trump, not just Mueller, you name it. If it has to do with law, they talk about it, and it's called Guys Who Law. You can follow their Instagram at Guys Who Law on Instagram. Check these guys out. They're brilliant. They're young. They're very talented. Go there. Check those guys out, Guys Who Law. Now, I want to talk really quick about Jacksonville Beach. I was actually out there this past Saturday on June the 30th. Again, I was in New York Thursday, Friday, had a 5 a.m. flight out of JFK to Jacksonville Beach, Florida. So when you're going to bed almost at midnight and getting up at 2, 2.30 to get ready to head to the airport, it's not really fun. But the fun actually began. I got a little bit of sleep on the plane, maybe an hour or so. I'm sure the people next to me we're like, with this guy, please stop snoring. But uh, I may have mentioned it on this show. I got an opportunity, a really great opportunity to shoot a new crime show coming out, yes, for the Weather Channel. And it's called Killer Storm, Storm of Suspicion. So I actually shot two episodes of that, episode 103, and I believe the season finale, episode 
108. In that episode, actually, a young lady was killed in Jacksonville Beach, and it took investigators over two years to solve her crime, but they did. And, of course, they were assisted by elements of the weather. That's how they captured DNA. I don't want to give too much away right now. You'll have to watch. It airs in the fall on the Weather Channel. It's called Killer Storms or Storm of Suspicion uh, on the Weather Channel, episode 103 and episode 108. All right, let me switch gears and get into the meat and potatoes of this show. Of course, I'm a meat and potatoes type guy. I don't like too many vegetables. Give me meat and potatoes to fill me up. So I want to talk two things, and both have to do with precedence, setting precedence. First, I want to talk about the Indianapolis, Indianapolis, I always get tongue-tied on that word, Indianapolis Police Department. So there's an article that came out uh, on yesterday that said that that police department is experiencing a mass exodus of police officers. So it is expected that a total of 96 officers will leave the department, but that department is only allotted 86 officers in their budget to be hired this year and the next year. So 96 officers doing this exodus, but they're only slotted and budgeted for 86 officers. So there's 10 officers short that this city's going to have to deal with. Now, when I say precedence, I want to talk about why these officers are leaving this department. And this is not the first time we've seen this, but it's starting to become more and more prevalent. We started to see it in some other cities, but not at this alarming rate. 96 officers. And if I do the math, I don't know how big Indianapolis is. I've only passed through there. I've never stayed there. But if I do the math, 96 officers, when you're dealing with square roots, square mileage, I I should say, square mileage of a particular city, that's how precincts, divisions are broken down per square mileage. And when you take out 96 officers, you cut down of how many square miles you can patrol. And of course, Indianapolis has already said they've seen a spike in crime. And I attribute that spike in crime to what I've said in Baltimore, Ferguson, and all these other places where we've seen these so-called protests and all of this stuff about police misuse of force and uh, police just doing certain things to certain demographics. I attribute that to police don't want to be labeled as a racist. They don't want to be on the 6 o'clock news. They definitely don't want to be on CNN. They don't want to be on all these mainstream medias. They don't want to be on World Star. They don't want to be on Twitter. They don't want to be on Facebook Live. So you have officers that aren't wanting to do their job simply because they know if they do their job, and even when they're doing it by the book, someone's going to label them as being the bad guy. And that's exactly what many of these officers in Indianapolis have said, including the FOP president, Rick Snyder, who said he's quoted as saying there are a variety of reasons why officers are leaving the department, one being that some officers feel they're being treated like the bad guy versus having the support they need. And this article cites that last year, two Indianapolis police departments fatally shot a 45-year-old black male, Aaron Bailey. Now, the chief immediately wanted to fire these officers. 
but even a civilian review board said there was no cause for the termination because, let me back it up, like I always say, police just don't show up, start shooting black males. Yes, these were two white officers. So it started as a traffic stop. Aaron Bailey got back in his car, led the officers in a high-speed pursuit. So officers, their heightened suspicion is already up because it's a simple traffic stop, as many people would say, even though there's no such thing. A simple traffic stop that led to a pursuit simply because he had a suspended license. Both officers testified that he refused commands and appeared to be reaching several times before he was shot. And the chief immediately wanted to fire these officers now that the city has settled with the family for $650,000. The chief is now coming back in again after this review board, and say, which said the officers acted appropriately based on what they were told. Now the police is saying, oh, the officers didn't act with any malice. They didn't intend to do this. Well, if you say that, why did you initially immediately want to fire these officers. I will tell you why. It's because you wanted to appease the black community of Indianapolis, and it, you wanted to appease the Indianapolis cult who go out on the field every Sunday and kneel in protest of all of this stuff going on in the black community. You didn't want to get the facts. You didn't want to hear what the officers had to say. You just wanted to go out and fire these officers to make yourself look good by appeasing the community. It's that simple. But that didn't work because, again, the review board said these officers acted based on what they were given in that, wait for this keyword, split second. They acted as if there was an imminent threat against their lives or the public's life within that split second based on the totality of the evidence because who leads officers on a high-speed chase for a simple traffic stop if there isn't something else that the individual is hiding and who doesn't comply with commands if after a high-speed uh, police pursuit if there's something the individual isn't hiding and what that individual was hiding silly to say was the fact that his license was suspended but you think those officers knew that at that exact moment especially when they were saying show me your hands show me your hands and Mr. Bailey wasn't complying is it sad that Mr. Bailey lost his life Absolutely. Is it sad for his family? Absolutely. But did those officers act inappropriately based on that split second? Absolutely not. But the chief was ready to terminate those officers immediately. So do you understand the message that that sent to all of the other officers at the Indianapolis Police Department that if you do something and you're acting in accordance with the law based on what you perceive to be an imminent threat against your life at that exact moment, that split second, even if you're doing everything by the book and you had a legal right to be there, i.e. the traffic stop, i.e. a field stop, i.e. attempting to serve a warrant, i.e. whatever, even if you had all of that and you were justified in making contact with that individual, if you have to use force, especially deadly force, in that instance, I will not back you up. So Chief Roach, Brian Roach, should not be surprised that 96 officers are saying, you know what, Chief, you don't have my back. 
I don't have your back. I could care less about this city because if I do my job, I'm going to be labeled a racist. I'm going to be labeled a thug. I'm going to be labeled untrained. CNN is going to run my story for 20 weeks while I sit here and go over this investigation. And they're going to paint this picture that I'm just this bad guy that had it out for the black community. So I'm not going to stay here and do this job. Oh, and by the way, the chief has said that he will publicly share his new de-escalation procedures when they're available because apparently he's saying that these officers should have de-escalated. Well, I would say Aaron Bailey, God rest his soul, should have de-escalated because had Aaron Bailey simply stayed there and gotten either the citation or been placed in handcuffs for driving on a suspended license, been taken to jail, stayed there until he made bond a couple of hours, Aaron Bailey would be alive today. But you cannot de-escalate when someone jumps in their vehicle as you're in contact with them and leads you on a high-speed pursuit. And then that individual doesn't comply with commands like, show me your hands, and that individual is seen reaching around. These officers don't have x-ray vision where they can see in the car to say, Oh, well, he was not reaching for a gun. All they know is high-speed chase. He fled. He's not complying. He's reaching. I'm assuming at this exact moment, there's a gun. So, yeah, it's really easy. It's really easy to say, oh, well, clearly my officers need de-escalation tactics. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every police department in this country already teaches de-escalation. I went to the academy for six and a half months. We learned de-escalation. We learned terms like verbal judo, where we try to talk someone out of something. Sir, I understand, but I understand, however, yes, every department in this country already teaches de-escalation. But since the mass public doesn't know that, when a police chief says, yes, we're going to teach de-escalation and we're going to have a de-escalation policy, people don't know that it's already being taught. And the minute you start trying to change and say, well, if this happens, de-escalate to this, and if this happens, de-escalate to that, then you're going to have more officers killed in the line of duty because they're going to say, well, my training says, although this individual is not showing me his hands, and although I can see him reaching, I have to de-escalate this situation and revert to my verbal judo. Sir, please show me your hands. I understand you're upset. However, I need to see your hands. Just like that, more police officers across this country, and we're already in double digits in the 30s. We're already in the 30s of police officers being killed in this country by gunfire the minute we start talking all this de-escalation crap, you're going to see an influx of police being killed in the street. The suspect needs to de-escalate. Again, I've said it time and time again. The officers react with their use of force based on the individual's actions. If they comply, they turn around, put their hands behind their back. Guess what? No force was used. You resist, I have to use force. If I have you on a traffic stop 
and you flee, guess what? My job is to chase you because obviously there's something you are hiding from the police. That's my job. I'm dog. You're cat. Meow. So when you run from me as said cat, my job is to go after you to make sure you're not there to harm the public, to make sure you didn't just kill your family, to make sure you didn't just rob a bank. I have to ensure all of that to make sure you don't have a murder warrant, a rape warrant, any kind of warrant. My job as a police officer is to go after you. And when I catch you and you're doing these things like not showing me your hands and reaching and not complying to my orders, my job as a police officer, and I can say this as a black police officer, I don't care if Aaron Bailey is black, white, Chinese. If you have fled from me, and if you're not complying with my commands, and if you're reaching around your car, I'm going to think you have a gun in that exact split second. And I'm not going to question, well, if I shoot him and he's black, will I show up on CNN? Will I show up on MSNBC? Will I show up in the local paper? Will I be called this? Do you think any white officer on the street that has to use force in a split second is really thinking about that? No, they're not. But when they're not backed by their chief, like in Indianapolis, it's no wonder you got officers leaving in droves. And I assure you, that's going to be a precedent around this country. And this is a perfect segue into my next precedence. So there was a police chief, Michael Pimentel, killed in 2014 by a guy named Joshua Michael Lopez. Now, keep in mind, this is 2014. You didn't hear about it again because it doesn't fit the narrative. It's just some old police chief killed in the line of duty, shot twice. So it doesn't really fit the narrative of what the mainstream media wants people to hear. But he was with the Elmendorf Police Department, shot and killed 2014. During a, all things, traffic stop. Hmm, imagine that, a traffic stop. So, this Joshua Lopez had an active warrant. Remember when I said there's nothing routine about a traffic stop. And people don't react if they're completely innocent. They don't flee. They don't shoot police if they're completely innocent. So anyway, this chief who... According to his picture, it looks like he was probably in his 60s. I don't know why he was still in patrol and out patrolling, but maybe he just likes the job. He was the chief of police. So he attempts to stop Mr. Lopez because I assume he ran the tag and it came back that he had a warrant. Now, the warrant itself was a simple warrant for spray painting. So it wasn't a murder warrant, wasn't a rape warrant, warrant, wasn't a drug trafficking warrant, armed robbery warrant, it wasn't any of that. It was the fact that he was spray painting and police took a warrant out on him. So as Chief Pimentel was starting to approach the vehicle, Joshua gets out, shoots him in the shoulder, and then in the abdomen, he was transported, the chief was transported, and he died. Now, keep in mind, this was 2014. We are now in 2018. So a judge has come back and says that the suspect, i.e. Joshua Lopez, was found not guilty by reason of insanity 
for killing the police chief. So he got this lawyer. They got some psychiatrist. Oh, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he was doing when he shot the chief. So therefore, he shouldn't go to jail. He shouldn't go to prison for life for killing this police officer. And the judge bought it. He listened to these two psychiatrists. He listened to what they had to say, and he said, Yes, you are right. He is incompetent to stand trial by reason of insanity. So now his dad says he's pleased and he's ready for his son to come home. I feel for the family. I, my, my sympathy and my heartache and my feelings and sentimental values go out to them. I wish the outcome could have been different. Um, God rest his soul. Now, if I heard that right, his dad, Joshua Lopez's dad, just said, I wish the outcome could have been different. And he has sympathy for the Chiefs family. Well, needless to say, the Chiefs family was not pleased with the judge when this decision was handed down just a few days ago. Um, and rightfully so. Now, back to what his dad said. He wishes things could have been different. And I want to touch on this insanity thing. Because I said it, I've said it, I said it, and I said it again. When people don't want to go to jail, they don't want to go back to jail, they will fight, they will try to kill, they will do anything not to go back to jail. Now, for this attorney and these psychiatrists that say, oh, he didn't know what he was doing. He knew he was in possession of a firearm. Anyone that is in possession of said firearm knows that it has these little things. Sometimes they're silver, sometimes they're brass, sometimes they have hollow points, sometimes they don't. These little things called bullets. And those little things, contrary to what you see in the movies, contrary to what you hear on the news, are simply made to kill. They are not made to maim. Anytime someone gets shot in the leg and they don't die, it's because either someone missed or they didn't bleed out. But a bullet's main job since their creation is to kill. So you have this guy carrying a loaded gun. He knew he was carrying the loaded gun. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say he knew he had this active warrant. And unfortunately, Chief never had a chance. Chief Pimentel never had a chance to even explain why he was being stopped. So this guy knew he had this warrant. Again, a simple warrant. It wasn't that he was going to be in prison for the next 25 years. It wasn't that he was going to have a million dollar bond. It was a freaking spray painting warrant. But you cannot tell me that you are unfit, not guilty, by reason of insanity when you knowingly had a loaded firearm in your car, you know what the objective, what the goal, what the intent of a firearm is, especially when you pull the trigger. I'm guessing this isn't the first time this guy's drove around with a gun in his car. It's probably not the first time he's ever shot the gun. He's probably gone to the gun range and all of that stuff. Heck, he may have gone with his father who just said, 
I wish it could have gone a different way. Well, it very well could have gone a different way. Get out of the car, put your hands behind your back because you have a warrant, go down to the jail, get bonded out by your dad or whoever else that wants to come to your aid and make excuses for you like this dad just did. Do your time, pay your fine, and go on with your life. But now because you decided, Joshua Lopez, to shoot Chief Michael Pimentel, then his family will never, ever, ever have him back in their lives. But now you, after about six months and you go through these little tests and they put you on some kind of medicine with a PAM at the end of it, Deliza PAM, Quiza PAM, one of those PAMs that are usually associated with mental illness or bipolar or schizophrenia, now you get to go home to your family, you get to walk around a free man and not even have to pay any consequences for the death of this police chief who was trying to serve a simple spray painting warrant. That is sickening to me. And it's even more sickening that they use this insanity plea to get this guy off. So here's here's what I fear. Now, again, we're at 30 plus police officers killed in the line of duty this year in 2018 by gunfire. If some bad guy or let's just say some bad guy's attorney catches wind of this story of this small town police chief who was shot and killed and the individual got off by reason of insanity to say, oh, I didn't didn't know what I was doing. Yes, I, I knew I was carrying a gun. I knew I was carrying a loaded gun. I knew I had a warrant, but I didn't know what I was doing when I shot the chief. Can you imagine how many people... How many attorneys are going to start using this freaking insanity plea to try to get their client off for killing a police officer? If that precedent starts, we are headed down a horrible, bumpy, pothole-filled road. If that precedent starts, we're in trouble in this country. If we weren't already in trouble in this country as it comes to the respect deserved by law enforcement, we are really in trouble in this country if that becomes a precedent. I don't know if I'm more upset at the psychiatrist. No, no. I just answered my own question. I'm really upset at this judge, Judge Sid Sid Hurley, who determined the evidence showed that he suffers, speaking of suffering, Joshua Lopez suffers from a serious mental illness and did not know his conduct was wrong. Now, this is just outside San Antonio. But again, if I'm a judge, if I'm a legal guy, a lawyer, and you don't become a judge without being a lawyer, then I'm going to sit there and question how you did not know that your conduct was wrong when you knew you were carrying a loaded pistol. And you did not hesitate to pull out that loaded pistol. Huh. How can you say you didn't know that conduct was wrong? Because you know if you pull the trigger, someone is going to either get seriously hurt or killed. And you knew full well you were carrying a loaded pistol. So, here's my rebuttal to that. If this guy was so mentally ill, A, I don't think we'd have just heard about it at this point, and B... I really don't think he would have been carrying a loaded gun around. I just don't because 
if he's this mentally ill, as they claim, schizophrenia and all this other stuff, at 28 years old, that would be documented, and likely he probably wouldn't have passed the background check to get the gun anyway. Or if his dad, who says he's ready for him to come home, would have made sure he didn't have it, would have reported that he had it, would have reported that, hey, my mentally ill son is driving around town with a loaded weapon, and I don't think you should be able to do that since he's mentally ill. Please get the weapon away from my son. But none of that happened. So how do we get to this point that Joshua Lopez was mentally ill, didn't know what he was doing when he shot this 64-year-old chief, Chief Michael Pimentel. I don't buy it. I think it's BS, and I swear it better not set a precedence in this in this country. Oh yeah, one last thing. So Lopez will undergo a 30-day evaluation, after which the same judge will determine if he should be committed to a state hospital. If, if... He's no longer considered a threat to the public. He could be released into an outpatient community treatment program. So a guy who shoots and kills a police officer, shoots him twice, shoots not just a police officer, the chief of police, if it's determined he's not considered a threat to the public, he can now just, eh, he just walk around free, go check in at the community hospital, and go home every day. <laughs> but yet, Chief Michael Pimentel's family will no longer be able to see him come inside the door. <laughs> if that is not twisted justice, I don't know what is. All right, I'm out of time, but it's only fitting that since I've been talking about Chief, uh, Chief of Police Michael Anthony Pimentel that I actually honor him in my 10-7 segment, and I want to read this readout here. Chief of Police Michael Pimentel was shot and killed after stopping a vehicle in a residential area near the intersection of South 1st Avenue and East 9th Street at approximately 11.30 a.m. Yeah, so much for routine. A struggle ensued during the stop and Chief Pimentel was shot multiple times. He was flown to the University Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Baxter County deputies responded to the scene and took the suspect into custody. Chief Pimentel was a U.S. Army veteran of the Vietnam War. He served in law enforcement for 43 years and had previously served as the police chief of the San Antonio Independent School District Police Department. He was 64 years old and he served 43 years in law enforcement. So that is the majority of his life after leaving Vietnam. But yet, his killer will likely walk free because he didn't know what he was doing. And I say he knew fully well what he was doing. I want to thank you for listening. I especially want to thank you for growing this show to what it is. I just got the numbers the other day. We're at about 60,000 listeners per month. I cannot thank you enough for that. That is unreal. I didn't think I would ever meet that number, but we're at about 60,000 listeners per month and I want to thank you so much for that I want to thank RadioInfluence.com for giving me this platform and I will see you next week right here same time same place RadioInfluence.com good night to continue the conversation 
Get updates on the show. And to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a Landry Football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. The participation in youth football has been down 12% for the last seven to eight years. We know why. Parents are hearing all these stories about CTE, the effects of it. They don't want their kids playing football. Listen, I understand it. As a parent, you can understand it. There's a concern. The same people that will sit there and pull for their team and go nuts and go for every game, watch games on TV, tailgate parties, play fantasy football, bet on games, basically take their whole fall and put their whole social calendar around football. Won't let their kids play football because of the dangers of it. It's okay for other kids to play it, but I'm not letting my kid play it. And I'm not criticizing them. In fact, I completely understand it. I think that that needs to be understood. And there are definitely some things that the league is doing. I don't think enough, but they're doing some things with USA football, teaching kids how to properly tackle. Over time, the very thing that sold this game of football is now becoming its ruination in terms of the growth at the grassroots level. Chris Landry brings you Landry Football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.